Petersfield's Shine Radio. Good morning, listeners of Shine Radio. It's Rise and Shine. It's Jack Finch and Todd Apps's show. We are this morning, uh, um, Dane, with a, a very uh, a notable guest today. We have got the right honourable Damien Hines on. Good morning, Damien. Good morning. It's nice, nice to be here. It's lovely to have you. This is our little, it's sort of, just sort of unfolded. We're on a bit of a, there's a sort of a political wing to Shine Radio at the moment. <laughs> we had uh, the Lib Dem candidate Dominic Martin on, we got you on. Um, obviously, we can talk just at large about your time as MP, a little bit about the man. Um, also, I think, you know, specifically coming back to this idea, well, actually, before I say anything, are you standing for the next election for the Conservatives? I am. We heard it here. I am. There we go. Yes. You declared you, you are standing. I am. Look, it's a, great, it's a great privilege to stand for Parliament. It's an even bigger privilege, obviously, to be elected. But I'm looking forward to the, I'm looking forward to the election. We always have a very good, we always have a very good campaign here. It's very civilised, very yeah. good debates with, yeah. all the, with all the parties, all the candidates. And yeah, I'm looking forward to that. As and when it comes, I know as much about the actual date as you do, but um, we shall find out. There we go. It uh, will be revealed probably over the next few months, I suspect. But um, so to anyone who's somehow not familiar um, with the name Damien Hines, uh, Damien is an um, East Hampshire MP, as has been since 2010. So 14 years. It must be really interesting to kind of reflect on that and the... Um, well, I don't know. For a lot of us, we have a vague sense of what the roles are of MP. Obviously, you've got also a ministerial position, mm-hmm. uh, Ministry of State for Schools, if I correctly yep. term that. Brilliant. Um, and you've had an extraordinary ministerial career. Um, you've I've been under Cameron. You were Secretary to the Treasury. Exchequer Secretary. Yeah. Exchequer Secretary. Uh, Secretary. There's lots of Secretaries to the Treasury. There's no, lots of right. I was, there was, well, there was four, and I, I was the fourth. There we go. There we go. Uh, Minister of Employment under Theresa May. Yeah. Um, under Bojo, under Boris Johnson, Education. Uh, well, well, very, very briefly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he, uh, the, prime, the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson, uh, brought me back as uh, Security Minister. Gotcha. It would in the Home Office. And then prisons for a bit, and then yeah. as of November, schools. Correct. There yes. We go. And so there's, this, I imagine there's a bit of a balance of like ministerial role and um, constituency MP. How does one negotiate those two positions? Do they kind of blend in quite seamlessly, or do you have to compartmentalise? So candidly, it's quite hard. Yeah. Uh, so when you when you're first appointed to minister to a ministerial post. You, you wonder how, how anybody does it and how you could possibly ever do it because you're doing a really quite busy full-time job being, mm-hmm. a, being a member of parliament and then you get another really quite busy full-time yeah. job to do as well. In reality, you just have to. I mean, there are some things that uh, as a backbench MP you do which you no longer do when you're a minister. You can't, you're not allowed to do, uh, like taking part in different types of debates in parliament, putting down questions and stuff. But all the constituency responsibilities, of course, stay... And my ambition was always that nobody should ever notice. So nobody in Petersfield or East Hampshire should notice whether I'm, you know, in a ministerial job or not, because my role here is the same. And that's what, yeah. that's what I've always driven to do. I mean, you just have to get a bit better at time management. Yeah. Um, you, obviously, I have a small team as well that work with me. They change what they do uh, you know, around what my role is to make sure we're being as effective as possible. And I, I hope, I like to think we have, we've, we've managed to do that always over time. And what and what um, what's the day to day challenges of the sort of the local in you know as we're on a Petersfield radio station here? Yeah. Um, what is the the day to day tasks for being a local MP? What does that entail necessarily like in terms of legislation? Or well, so I mean the the biggest single thing in my working life as an MP is the same as same thing as the biggest single thing in most people's working lives these days. And that's email. Yeah. Which is I get a different sort of email. So as representative of people living here, I'm getting lots and lots of contact from people who are. Well, it broadly splits into two. We talk about casework and policy. So policy is when people are 
Uh, they want to have their say quite rightly on something that matters to them and I am their representative and they want me to uh, represent their point of view. Um, and casework is when people have something which is not so much a big policy which is about the country as a whole but something which affected them. It might be as a result of that policy but it's something specific to them. And those two things, policy correspondence and casework, take up the, the, the great part of, a, of an MP's role. We also run surgeries, so for the more complicated kinds of casework, I mean, sometimes really complicated, where people have been through, I mean, going through very, diff very, very difficult personal uh, issues, and they've, by the time they get to their MP, they've usually been through, like, a lot of other, you know, potential, potential methods of remedy or people who might be able to help, and it hasn't worked out. So we do that, that takes up quite a bit of time. I also proactively stay in touch with local firms, with schools, with charities, with organisations, because mm. sometimes uh, as an MP, you can, sometimes you can, you can just do things to help uh, in ways that it might be quite hard to achieve otherwise. Mm -hmm. And all of us, all 650 of us, want our yeah. local companies, Not our locals, to, to be quite right. Yeah. right? That's, the way they, yeah. that's the way the system, that's the way the system works. Best part of the job, constituency MP, is Fridays, because Fridays are generally the day, don't quite do it quite every Friday when you're a minister, but most Fridays is constituency day, out and about, around visiting uh, visiting organisations. I didn't particularly enjoy school visits. Luckily, I'm the schools minister now, so I get to do a lot of that, but yeah. even when I wasn't schools minister, um, and meeting all sorts of people you wouldn't otherwise have an excuse to meet. Yeah, 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 it must be, uh, the sort of local duties must be quite just enjoyable. If they are, yeah. they are, yeah. I, I, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I often say, um, uh, you know, there are, are organisations, charities, you know, you name it, you might almost live next door to. Mm -hmm. And if you weren't, if you didn't have the excuse of, you know, my job, yeah. or you, you would never, or your job, or yours. You have this too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get to meet all these, like, really interesting people doing really interesting things. Yeah. And that's a great privilege. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I mean, I, to a much lesser extent, I've felt since being on Shine Radio, I've had a, an insight into places I never knew existed, yeah. or characters yeah. I never would have encountered. Um, through tips, there's like, oh, you've got to speak exactly. to this person or whatever. Exactly. Um, and, and also chatting to your MP is a sort of something that's not necessarily a regular occurrence, and here I am, having a matter. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so before that, I think it's interesting also to hear, Wayne, what led to a decision to go into politics, because people yeah. often speculate as to why someone's going to politics. Some, you know, the, the idea is it's public service, some people question that, you know, there's all sorts of varying ideas, and I'm sure the whole plethora of 650 yeah. MPs have variations on these things. But um, for you, prior to being in politics, um, I'm sure you can um, unpack this a bit more, but I, I gather you worked in hospitality, pubs, yeah. restaurants, in, the, in that kind of trade. Um, what, was your, what was your kind of roles within that? Was it sort of managerial or...? Uh... Yeah, well, in fact, I, I was... Uh, this week I was with some, uh, some school children in Bristol and they were... And it was a, it was, it's been apprenticeship week uh, and there was a, it was a careers lesson they were doing at Lloyd's Banking Group in Bristol and I got asked the question, what was your first job? And, of course, you've got all these 60 or, 60 or so kids... Uh, and they've all been talking about highfalutin careers, yeah, yeah. to finance this, that, Barrister. and the other. Of course, my first job was washing dishes, and there, it was a sort of a bit of a show, <laughs> bit, <too. laughs> bit of an intake of breath. Yeah, yeah. And I was explaining a bit actually that uh, you know that of all the jobs, in all the jobs I've done, I've learned a lot. But actually, I learned just as much like doing the dishwashing as anything else, because you learn about your interdependence with the person next to you who's doing the pots mm. and you learn the boss doesn't always appreciate all your strengths. So so that was my entry level into yeah. hospitality. But no, to be fair, most of the time I was in uh, what we 
what we used to call the hospitality trade, the terms have changed a bit over time. We used to say hospitality meaning hotels. Yeah. And I worked in the hotel business from um, uh, the sort of early 90s, um, pretty much right up until I stood for Parliament. Most of the time I was working for Holiday Inn and right. Intercontinental Hotels. And yes, I was doing managerial stuff, particularly um, my particular specialities were around what's called revenue management, which is a particular thing in the travel trade about how you kind of get the price right. So you fill your, you know, you fill your aeroplane or you fill your hotel, uh, but you can also offer cheaper deals to, to other people. Um, that was one thing. And then the other was channels, meaning how you sell stuff. And right. in particular, as the internet came along, mm-hmm. uh, I was there at kind of a very interesting time, actually. And during this time, was it brewing? Was it simmering under the surface? Brewing was just the anchor. I did also work an, for an unintentional, King. Unintentional, <laughs> Joe. I'm so witty, I don't even realise it. Um, so you work for Green King, who obviously yeah. own you know vast amount of pubs. Yeah. I go to a pub in Midhurst, owned by Green King yeah. IPA. So. Um, and uh, during this time, maybe fermenting the... Uh, there you go again. There we go again. I was doing it deliberately that time. <laughs> the aspiration to go into politics. And I want to be interested to know perhaps where that seed came from yeah. and also maybe why the Conservatives... Yeah, uh, yeah let's, let's start with Okay, that. so I didn't go into politics. I was already in politics. Right. I'd just never been paid to do politics. So I joined, uh, I joined a political party when I was 17 and it was the Conservative Party. Before that point... As a teenager, I had been like, you know, like a lot of young people are, uh, and a lot of not a lot of, a lot of not so young people are. But I was quite left wing. Uh, this is the nineteen eighties. Growing up, I'm a bit older than you, you uh, but it was a difficult time. Uh, but around, I say around the towards the end of my schooling, age seventeen, I I had a discovery in myself that actually the things I really believed and the things that I thought. Uh, could make the most positive difference in the world were actually more to do with conservatism than with um, than with, with with a left wing agenda. And I decided to join uh, join the Conservative Party. I, this was in Manchester where I, where I was growing up. I was by far the youngest uh, member uh, in my local <laughs> local branch of the Conservative Party. And I can tell you, there was no glamour in politics. It was uh, you know I learned about going out in the cold and, and wet and putting bits of paper through people's doors and knocking on doors and mm. working in elections. And I did that on and off for, you know, well, still do it to this to this day. Actually, secretly, not even secretly, I quite enjoy it. I think mm. the, the sort of grassroots campaigning that we do is a really important part of our, of our politics. Um, but then when, when I was at university, I got, uh, I got quite involved in kind of student politics one way or another. And, and I decided, more or less then, that one day I'm, I, I would like to be an elected, an elected representative, but not straight away, because there's a lot of other things to do in life, mm-hmm. particularly in your 20s. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in my 20s, I, well, I first worked in a, uh, in a consulting company, and as a result of doing that, that I ended up doing a project for Holiday Inn out in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, doing a lot of work around the actually really really interesting traveling around the southern states in particular and visiting different uh different towns trying to understand the way hotel markets work and there's a lot of that i came back to to uh, england and then to europe i lived in belgium for a few years uh, again working in the travel trade and then eventually eventually it gets to 1997 and i was uh i was campaigning with a friend of mine 
in the 1997 election, and that was not a good election for us, as, as, you, may, <laughs> as you may recall. And it, at that moment, I decided, look, if I'm serious about this, you can't, you can't just keep shouting at the telly. You can't put it off forever. You've got to get your act together and, you know, and, and get, get more closely involved uh, and become a candidate. I was living in Belgium at that time, so I decided I was going to move back to, move back, uh, to England, which I did, and then eventually I got selected for a seat back in Manchester, which is where I'd grown up, for the 2005 general election, which I didn't win. But I was never likely to. Uh, right. It wasn't that kind of. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a very. Uh, it wasn't a very hospitable territory right. for uh, for my for my team. And then I was very very lucky, uh, and eternally grateful to be uh, selected uh, as candidate here in East Hampshire in two thousand and seven. It's absolutely the area my or very close to where my wife grew up. And uh, yes, it's, it's a privilege in my life to to represent the people of East Hampshire. And here we are. You've obviously alluded to your trajectory. Now I'm interested to know, we, we refer to all these ideals and these, these notions, these political ideologies, but, and I know that it's quite, it's quite broad church, the Conservative mm. Party, as is the Labour Party. And we've seen two very yeah. polarised leaderships in the Labour Party recently. And I know there, is, there are certain rifts in the Conservative Party, that, you know, with Brexit and such. But for you, what is conservative ideology at its core? Um, what's the thing that for you um, is the reason that conservative ideology yeah. is strong and obviously effective and the way forward? So I, look, I, I boil my conservatism down. I say mine, actually. I think this is uh, what conservative supporters overall, I think, is a, a core that everybody coalesces around uh, and I talk about family, nation, uh, mm. enterprise and opportunity. Four words, family, nation, enterprise and opportunity. Um, so it's a belief that, um, you know, only through business, only through uh, industry, through enterprise, through entrepreneurialism and through hard work, only through those things do, do we create the national wealth that, that enables us to afford the brilliant public services that we all rely on, the health service, mm -hmm. care, education, uh, and so on. Um, we believe that, generally speaking, families know what's best for them, and it's not for governments to, you know, unnecessarily go meddling in people's lives it's or small or state. them around. Yeah. Well, so small state is a uh, is a term which which can these days ha has become a bit more kind of loaded than it used to be. Mm. I would say smaller state yeah, than, yeah. The, than the other side. So there's a there's a bit of a sense in politics where you have got you've got a continuum of, of views, right? And and we have organised our politics by chopping them into two big groups. And there are other parties as well, obviously, but two big groups: the Labour Party and the Conservative Party. And we then in those two groups, we kind of you know, have a lot of rows among ourselves to come up with um, uh, an agreed platform, effectively, a manifesto that then we put in front of the people and they have a straightforward choice between two actual alternatives. Um, we have our debates before the election, yeah. as, it, as it were. In other systems elsewhere in the world, where you might have six different parties to choose from, yeah. there's the same spectrum of opinion. But they don't get together in two big groups to offer two actual alternatives. So it's sort of like coalitions, almost, parties. All, all, yeah. all, all, all politics is coalitions, right? Mm. So the Conservative Party is a coalition, the Labour Party is a coalition. Mm. But the difference is it's a coalition that we have formed before the election. In those other countries, you get to vote for something which is much, much more precisely aligned to what you believe. But if that party then gets into government, 
you have no idea which bits of their uh, philosophy, which bits of their programme will get jettisoned. Because they will have to go into a darkened room mm-hmm. with, Meet it with other or others <laughs> yeah. and, fight, and fight it over. And then they will come up with something. Sometimes it takes months in some countries, but they will eventually come up with something, but it won't be what you voted for. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's interesting hearing um, that angle on the sort of party, the two, well, that's not, we're not in a two-party system, as sort of are, you know. I <laughs> think so it's not technically, but we have two main parties that will... Correct. It tends to flip between. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's your stance, and that obviously propelled you into where you are now, 14 years of MP, ministerial career. Let's just sort of brush up on the ministerial thing first, mm. I think, and it should be interesting. Because a minister of schools... Um, just firstly, like, what does that entail? What does being Minister of Schools mean? Um, obviously, I have a sense of it, but, you know. No, well, you have... <laughs> yes. I mean, actually, the nice thing about schools is, of course, everyone was at one. Yeah. And so, generally speaking, people have got a good... Yeah. People have got a good idea of it. Um, so, I mean, I have responsibility for everything that happens in the English school system. It's so... Schools... Not Wales and Scotland. Not Wales and Scotland or Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, I draw things between power and responsibility, of course, because we have a very devolved... Uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's you know, uh, country devolved, but there's local authorities to some extent, but actually individual schools mm-hmm. have an awful lot of um, autonomy in our, in our system. So there's 22,000 schools in mm-hmm. the country, yeah. uh, and they have a lot of control over, over what happens, and quite right, it's a great strength, actually, of our, of our system. But obviously there's a framework within, within which that happens. There's exams, there's the national curriculum, there's the funding of schools, there's uh, development of what we call pedagogy, so like ways of teaching, uh, and all of that comes under the, um, comes under the Ministry of Schools. Um, so obviously I think, you know, it's fair to just ask you, coming up to the next election, and obviously um, mm. your party will be campaigning to remain in power, um, I'd be interested to hear just, you know, just my knowledge on kind of what's the inner workings mm. of the education sector is quite rudimentary. But I've got a few friends who are secondary school and primary school teachers yeah. and just gauging the sentiment at the moment and I think this probably goes back for a long time there are like some funding concerns yeah. there have been funding cuts I've got I know this is a completely different constituency but a friend is a primary school teacher in Hackney and she said it's like gone down 300 pounds per student in amongst primary schools in that constituency and my son's at Rogate School which is just outside of constituency in the Chichester one I think and um they sort of restructured it and merged it so there's just a bit a few funding things and I just want to know those sorts of concerns, which are becoming increasingly pertinent, you know, buildings as well. Um, is there are, are there any thoughts or plans as to how this could be rectified moving forward for the state education system? Which um, there are some concerns floating around. Um, are there any pledges that your party are hoping to put forward? And as Minister of Schools, have you got any thoughts on how that could be addressed in the long term? Yes. So look, there are financial pressures in yeah. in schools, and you know, quite rightly, we want to do more in schools every year. There are also different pressures, uh, particularly around the number of children presenting with special needs and, of course, the extra support that, that they need. It, it is also true that school funding is higher than it's, than it's been in the past. Okay. Uh, but as I say, that doesn't mean that those pressures aren't there because we want to, we want to do more. Uh, so I, my, my absolute respect and admiration goes to every, uh, every head teacher in, in, the, in the country. Uh, we've also rebalanced uh, funding, so we've brought in a national funding formula to try and get rid of what used to be quite um, actually random differences in how much what the you know, per child funding was in different parts of the of the country to a system which is much more based on um, uh, you know the proportion of children you have 
for example, um, on free school meals, mm -hmm. um, the number of children you have have English not as their first language, and so there's a much more, it's a much more um, rational uh, system now. But as I say, now I, I absolutely acknowledge that um, there are there are funding pressures, there are management pressures, of course, in, in schools. Yeah, yeah. Um, as local MP, you know, just gauging the the general temperature around Petersfield, speaking to Shine Radio volunteers, also the things that I put forward to. Dominic Martin, who came yeah. um, standing for Lib Dems, I feel it's only fair we just sort of cover those sort of main categories sure. as well, which is, you know, things that seem to be the tip of people's tongues. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, town centre vibrancy is one. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on how, like, you know, Peacefield is an area with an amazing town centre. It's got a market, it's got a thriving market, it's got a high street. Obviously, there's concern about um, uh, rent rates and um, businesses closing at rapid rates. Um, any thoughts on how that can be stabilised? So town centre vibrancy is incredibly important for market towns like this one. I also represent, of course, Alton and mm. I represent uh, Whitehill and Borden. Whitehill and Borden in particular is quite different because it's yeah. sort of rapidly, rapidly developing, growing, rapidly growing. But Petersfield and Alton, um, yeah, these are the these are the hearts of our community. They're what make they're what change you know a place to place where people live into into a community. And look. High streets have taken uh, a hit over time from from the internet. Uh, this is a you know a long term sectoral shift. And quite when I'm in a in a big meeting, I did actually once on Question Time, um, and people someone asks about this, and I say, raise your hand if you've never bought anything on mm. Amazon. And of course, like literally, no. Or, I almost thought Well, actually, yeah. I think what I say is online. So it also includes yeah. Tesco.com or whatever. And literally no, no hand goes up. And that is a real challenge for us. And it's also not about to change. So there are a few things um, that we can do. We, we need to try and make sure there's a level playing field for mm. bricks and mortar businesses. And that's you know, a question for the, for the tax system, which has been, has been is being uh, addressed. Um, but we also need to... Think especially about the sorts of things that bring people together. So shops are one are one such thing, but they're not the only such thing. You know, the library that we have here in the museum square that I've just been in, the museum, nurseries, uh, cafes. Sometimes people, people used to write. They, actually, I don't get this anymore. I used to email people complaining there were too many cafes in Petersfield and Alton. Where have the shops gone? Instead, gets a and instead they've got a well. cafe. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's good. Yeah, that's that's a business that's employing people. And it's bringing people together, and it's the, and it's something you can't do. You cannot yeah. have a cafe latte online. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. A, it's a real face to face thing. So look, I I do I absolutely agree that we need to uh, really really we need to continue to work. I know the town council does good work on this. The association of local businesses does as well to really really focus on our vibrancy. Quick shout out to hometown festivals who I think do a great job in Petersfield as well in just events. Because mm -hmm. um, even, so that's, it's one thing on the weekend that the events are on, mm -hmm. but actually it also just keeps people, gets more people perhaps in the habit of coming in. Yeah. The market, which is of course on to the farmer's market, yeah, is again, you know, then appeals to a slightly different segment perhaps, and that brings those people in. Stuff that the the council does. All of this is all of this is important, but we must, we must never take our foot off the pedal. So it's community events. I'm feeling that are very very vital to, and I think you know I'm just 
comparing to a town that's very close to my heart as well as peaceful midhurst i'm yeah. um, the head of events there it's just continually trying yeah. to generate events which brings in the people the shops yeah. are thriving it's an ecosystem it's i want to just say by the way we're pretty good at it yeah so petersville and alton which i, I also yeah. said both actually have really really strong programs and events I remember when my dad came down to live with us uh, a few years ago he couldn't believe the mm. amount of stuff that goes on yeah. in our you know in our towns week after week it's it's great and that's and there's so many volunteers actually give of their time to make these things happen like me and julie, <laughs> me and julie. um <laughs> so yeah brilliant and, and i'm just covering a few other things i mean you, can, you cannot be interviewing a, a politician without mentioning potholes um yeah. i think it is vital we mention yeah. the thing that seems to be the the, the plague of the nation the thing that uh, it, it crosses political yeah. boundaries and class and social potholes uh have any any thoughts on this issue that is rife on our roads? yeah look, it's still one of the it's still one of the top five issues that comes up when you get when you go out door knocking it's still one of the issues that comes up whenever i do a public meeting there, look, there has been more money for potholes yeah okay. um we, we, we have also had uh, you know the, the the kind of weather that makes it worse i we have to keep working on we have to keep plugging these potholes because it, yeah there is damage to people's tires damage to people's mm. vehicles it does really matter to people and that's why you see so many politicians you know talking about potholes yeah because it is a bread and butter issue it gets you um and one day somebody will invent the wonder material that you can put in a pothole and it will never freeze expand and uh and you know empty and, and, then, and, then and when and that and that man or woman when they come along yeah. yes and they can every run, party they can run for any office they like yeah yeah exactly is that become a donor yeah. um i um uh i think well, there's a good segue here you yeah. talked about you, you just you just referenced doorsteps here so yeah. obviously you're on the campaign trail it's begun yeah. it's commenced you're out there you're in the front yeah. lines now just, we never really stop no, to be no, honest course, course, yeah. uh, it's just probably get, it goes yeah. up a notch I imagine as we yes. enter a year in which an election is yeah, we don't know right. what month but it's that's happening right. imminently um, so just before I actually ask about what you've been gauging on the doors which I'm very interested to hear um, I think it's just I think it's very fair to ask this just very briefly um, you know 14 years uh, Conservatives have been in power you know landslide uh, victory in the last election on this election yes. there's been uh, polls which haven't been quite as favourable to yeah. the Conservatives um, for the first time in many years. Now, I imagine, um, then, firstly, if you acknowledge that this is the case, do you, what do you attribute this to and how can this be rectified? So we have been in government for a long time. Yeah. Um, we've made mistakes, I think, you know, very, very candidly. Um, when you have been in government for a long time, uh, sometimes people do think it's time for a change. Cyclical, um, is that? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. My job, or part of my job, among the other bits of my job, is to is to put the case for why um, actually all the things that we have achieved, and they are many and very, very significant, those things could be uh, at risk in the event of a change of government. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, that we've also got, uh, and we obviously we'll un unpack this properly at the time of the manifesto, We've got a, a, a really positive, strong programme for government um, in the event of being re-elected. I think we've got uh, the better leader. I think we've got the better ideas. I think we have got uh, a track record of delivery. We need to make sure we communicate that. And then, of course, we'll put it to the public. And um, as I say, you never know what's going to happen in an election until it, until it happens. I will be doing... Um, 
the full range of campaigning, including, you know, I enjoy doing public town hall meetings. I enjoy doing, uh, you know, meeting people out on the doorstep. And uh, yeah, we will see. Have you been, has it been interesting on the doorsteps? Have anything, any surprises come up? Any sort of common themes? I'm not sure about surprises. I mean, I, look, after 14 years, the there is, I mean, you talked about potholes earlier. That is a, that is a staple of what go. people talk about. But obviously, whatever is in the in the news that week is yeah. it obviously comes up uh, comes up more. Uh, what I've detected most recently is that people are starting to think very seriously about uh, what a Labour government would mean. And so, for quite a while, I think people haven't really been thinking about that or really had to think about that. And now, I think people are. Um, and my view uh, is that that is beneficial, I hope, to my party, because I think we have got the stronger the stronger proposition, the better leader. Um, but look, ultimately, that's why they call it a democracy, is yeah. because it is the demos, it's the people who will who will decide. Fantastic, well, you, you heard it here. And um, just lastly, I know really as we've got to shoot off, you've been so kind to uh, indulge us this long. Um, I just wanted it just a, a sort of frothy conclusion to what is, you know, it's talking frothy. We're having a coffee right now. Uh, David very wittily pointed at his, uh, <laughs> the remnants of his latte. Um, so you're, you've lived in this area for a long time. I know you, you said you hail from Manchester. However, you, you know, you must, this must just be home through and through. Um, what are your, I mean, I'm sure you love everywhere here, but what are, you, what are some of your <laughs> favourite spots in the East Hampshire, the Petersfield district? You worked in the pub trade. It might be a pub, it might be a walk. Anything comes to mind? Oh, well, obviously, I love, all, I love all the pubs. Candidly, our family, we are, well, we can get the children to do it, but we love, we love our walks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the short walk at Heath, Around the round round the water is 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 fantastic, but actually, out into steep and uh, uh, up up the hill, hangers. Up the hangers, yeah. uh, uh, beautiful views and uh, um, such um, gorgeous nature and yeah. and the fresh air uh, is is wonderful. And how do you describe when you meet someone who's never been to the East Hampshire district and you're like forced to describe this area? What are the attributes that come to mind? And it's sort of what is East Hampshire like? What's Peaceful area like? Well, if I talk about Peterfield, actually, normally what I say, or, or indeed about Alton, is there are very good arguments for living in the middle of nowhere. There yeah. are very good arguments for living in the middle of a city. Yeah. But if you're going to live in a market town, you'll struggle to find one better than this one. It's pretty vibrant. And I think that is true. I mean, it has got, like, pretty much everything you would want. Absolutely. It's a great community, a great community spirit. Actually, I mean, town centre here is gorgeous. Um, I mean, things like the museum, and of course, you know, the. I remember the uh, meeting the people behind this project, like right at the start of the project. I mean, this was done by the vision and the tenacity of, of volunteers. I mean, the fact that we've got that in this town is is amazing, and it works. It works the benefit of everyone. Fantastic. Well, there we go. I think that's a great note to end on. This is a sort of affectionate tribute to Petersfield. Um, Damien Hines, MP for East Hampshire coming on to talk to the really thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Not at all, it's been a pleasure. So you heard it here, that was uh, Damon Hines, MP for East Hampshire, chatting to myself, Jack Finch on Shine Radio. It's Rise and Shine, stay tuned for much more. The next station is Shine Radio. Hi, it's Richard Latto here, bringing you the legendary Stereo Underground every week here at Petersfield Shine Radio. It's an indie and alternative heaven right here every Thursday night. Stereo Underground with Richard Latto is now arriving at Shine Radio. Thursday nights from 10. Mind the gap, please.